Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you're not already there, to Luke chapter 24. In just a moment, I'll be reading in verse 1 and following. I'm so grateful that we serve a risen Savior. Amen? If Christianity is not true, the world has no hope. If Christ has not risen from the dead bodily, then there is no hope in this world. And Christianity is not only false, but it is a cruel hoax because we have been telling people that Jesus is alive, and if he's not alive, then shame on us. But the good news is Christ is alive. He did rise from the grave. Let's give him glory and praise right now. Amen. I'm so grateful that he's alive, and I'm so grateful that I'm not talking about Muhammad or Buddha or any of the other people from the other religions. I'm so grateful that we're talking about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. There are some people that just love to antagonize Christians. We are their favorite target, it seems like, and they love to try to snuff out the truth of the Word of God. There are many people that say Jesus didn't really die, and they've got several ways that they try to explain it away, none of which hold any truth to them at all. For instance, I was reading just recently about what they call the swoon theory. Now, you know, when you get to the swoon theory, you know, that's really something special, do you not? What it means is that Jesus didn't really die, but he fainted and they buried him. They thought he was dead, but he was still slowly breathing. And he woke up in the grave and he walked out and that's what happened. Well, I got news for you. If you think that Jesus didn't die, you do not understand fully what it meant to be crucified by the Romans. The first thing they would do is they would take your clothing off and before they even got you to the cross, they would beat you with a whip called a flagrum or a flagellum. The handle was about eight inches long. The straps of leather on it were between 12 and 24 inches long. And at the end of each one, there were either lead balls made of lead or sharp pieces of rock, glass, metal, or bone shards. And whenever that whip would come around you, they would pull it back and those ends of those would dig into the flesh and they would cut you. And then those other pieces of leather would pull it wide open. In fact, it was so gruesome the famous Christian historian Eusebius in the fourth century wrote this about Christians being beaten this way. He said, the Romans, those standing around were struck with amazement at seeing them, the victims, lacerated with scourges to their very blood and arteries so that no flesh concealed in the very inmost parts of the body and the bowels themselves were exposed to everyone in full view. It was so severe that many people died by being beaten before they ever got to the cross. But if they made it to the cross, they were not getting off the cross unless they were dead. The victim on the cross was laid with his arms perpendicular to his torso. Then they would take nails five to nine inches long and they would drive them first of all through the person's wrist. And those were where the, the nerves were, the largest nerves going through into the hands, the median nerves. And then they would 
crush those nerves and there was agonizing pain. Then they would fold the legs up in a position where they could take another nail and drive it through the victim's ankle. And when the cross was raised vertically then, all that pressure was on those spots where all the nerve centers were in the ankles and in the, the wrist. And they would plunge down and the people then would try to pull up and they couldn't hardly pull up because their arms were stretched out so much. Normally, their shoulders would come out of joint, sometimes their wrists, sometimes their elbows, all of that. And so they were pulling against all of that. If you've ever had a dislocated shoulder, you know what I'm talking about. It's one of the most painful things there is. And so they would pull with all that pain, trying to get a breath. And finally, after hours, sometimes even a day, they would die of asphyxiation and they would die probably of not only that, unable to breathe, but heart failure. Now, Jesus was on the cross, we know, for six hours from 9 a.m. when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. All the way to 3 p.m. when he said, to tell us die, it is finished, paid in full. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus died. And to make sure that he was dead, they had a way of doing that. They took a spear and with one thrust, they would thrust it through one lung all the way into the heart. And Jesus, like other people that died on the cross, had water that built up in his lungs when he was trying to breathe. And that water we know came out. And then the blood in his heart came out. Look at me. He was dead. He was dead. They, he, he was not swooning. He died. He died on the cross. In fact, if the Roman soldiers who crucified someone, if they didn't die, the Roman soldiers would be crucified in their place. So they made sure that nobody, nobody, including Jesus, got off of that cross. To even think that Jesus didn't die, that he was swooning, is preposterous. I won't give it any more time of this sermon. Then there are some other people. There are a lot of different ways that people try to deny it, but the most popular, perhaps besides the swooning theory, is that his body was stolen. That's what the Jews at uh, Jesus' time uh, paid the people that were there, the guards there, to say that. They fabricated it, and they said, and we'll talk, we'll read from Matthew 28 momentarily about that. It's a bizarre theory, when you think about all that had happened, they said, uh, you know, Jesus' disciples came and stole the body. Well, when you see the disciples of Jesus, they're not exactly in the state of mind to steal a body. They're hiding like cowards behind a door. They have denied that they even knew Jesus, and they were shocked when he appeared to them. They were not in any way in the frame of mind or in a position to go to that grave, to overcome those soldiers, and to pull the body of Jesus out, they did not steal the body. I want to say this to you. All of that is man's way of trying to come against the greatest miracle ever to be performed by God, and that is God raised His Son, Jesus Christ, bodily, victoriously, and eternally from the grave. And I'm here not preaching, and we're not worshiping a dead man today. Jesus Christ is alive. He is alive. 
It's not just his teachings that came out of the grave. The teacher came out of the grave and he is alive. That's what we read in Luke 24, verses one through nine. But on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, at early dawn, they came to the tomb. These are the women. Bringing the spices which they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. These are angels. And as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? And then they announced the greatest news ever known to man. He, read it with me, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered Jesus' words, and they returned from the tomb, and they reported, underline that word, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer, thank you that Jesus is alive. Don't let us seek the living, Lord, among the dead today. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want to say is this. Why seek the living among the dead? Jesus Christ is not dead in the grave. He's not dead in the grave. Look at verse 5 in the middle of the verse, in the verse. Why do you seek the living one? among the dead. If you go back to the previous chapter, chapter 23, you read about the burial of Jesus. A man named Joseph, who is described to us as a good and righteous man from the city of Arimathea. He was a member of the Jewish high council, the Sanhedrin, but he had had nothing to do with the conviction and the condemnation and the crucifixion of Jesus. I believe, and most theologians believe that he was a believer in Christ. But he went to Pilate and said, I would like to take the Nazarene's body and bury it in my tomb. He had a tomb that had never been used. And Pilate made sure that Jesus was dead. By the way, that's another reason we know he was dead. Pilate was make sure that he was dead. And he did. He said, yes, you can have the body. So Joseph, it was almost time for the sun to set. And whenever the sun would set, Sabbath would start. They don't start with the morning. They start with the evening. It was evening and it was, the, it was daytime. And that was a day for the Jews. And so sun was about to set. It was about to be the Sabbath. And so they didn't have much time. They hurriedly, Joseph did, wrapped up the body of Jesus and he put the body of Jesus in that tomb. And the Bible says that the women were watching to make sure they knew exactly where he had put the body. They knew exactly where it was. And they had all their spices ready to anoint the body of Jesus and to give him a true burial, but they had to wait until Sunday morning after the Sabbath was over with. So they waited and they had returned back to their home in Jerusalem. They waited and they waited until the first Sunday after his death. Luke 24, look at verse one again. But on the first day of the week 
at early dawn, the women, they, the women, they, they had ministered to Jesus and his disciples. They cooked for them, and, and they were not, there was no romance there, anything like that, as some of the the, the opponents of Christianity have said, no, they were just people that were taking care of these preachers. And the Bible said they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And what happened next blew their minds. The Bible says they found, verse 2, the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, that is, they entered the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Imagine going there with all these spices all these ointments and everything ready to prepare the dead body of Christ, only to find a stone rolled away and an empty tomb. But that wasn't the highlight. Then all of a sudden, they saw something else that absolutely amazed them. Verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, behold, anytime you see the word behold, especially in the New Testament, something really big, something God-sized is about to happen. Behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. They weren't there when they first went in, but all of a sudden, two angels who had been in the presence of God, they were glowing, not because it was themselves that were glowing, but they were glowing with the reflection of the glory of Almighty God. I want to tell you, when you get to heaven, you're going to be glowing. You're going to be glowing with the glory of God, just like those angels. And the Bible says all the women could do was hit the deck and make sure that they were not killed by these men. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing, verse 5, and as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground. And when they bowed to the ground, the men said to them, why? Do you seek the living one among the dead? They called Jesus the living one. They knew he had been raised from the dead. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus wasn't dead. They knew it. Jesus was alive. Now, if you go and talk to someone, and I encourage you to do it, there are plenty of people who follow Islam in Memphis. You talk to one of them, they will tell you up front, Muhammad is dead. Muhammad is buried in Medina. Now, don't you run up to Medina, Tennessee and say, I heard that <laughs> Muhammad's here. I'm not making fun. I'm just saying, no, it's another Medina. And so, yes, that's the second most holy place for the Muslims, they'll say, yes, Muhammad, our prophet, is dead. Yes, he is dead. And then the holiest place for them is Mecca, the birthplace of Muhammad. But they admit that their prophet is dead. But I admit that our prophet and our Lord and our Savior is not dead. He is alive. He is alive. Why well, seek the living among the dead? All the famous kings in the Bible, Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, on and on. Guess what? They're all dead. Abraham, Moses, King David. I'm reading about King David right now in my daily Bible readings. You know what? He's dead. In fact, 
They've got his tomb in Jerusalem. If you ever go with us over there, you'll see the tomb of David. Solomon is dead. Isaiah, Jeremiah, dead. Peter is dead. James and John, dead. Paul and Timothy, dead. Muhammad, Buddha, and Confucius, dead. Adolf Hitler, Mao Zedong, and Joseph Stalin, dead. Ronald Reagan, George Bush Sr., dead. Even W.A. Criswell, Adrian Rogers, and Billy Graham, dead. And should Christ tarry and his second coming delay and the rapture not take place in our lifetime, we're going to die. We're going to die. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for men, includes women too, to die once. And after that, the judgment. But three days later, after Jesus died, he rose from the dead. Why seek the living one among the dead? Jesus Christ, hallelujah, is not dead in a grave. Secondly, why seek the living among the dead? Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Not only is he not dead in a grave, he has risen from the dead. Look at verses 6 and 7. Here they give the greatest announcement ever made. He is not here. He has risen. He's not here. His body has not been stolen. No, he has been raised from the dead. Now the Jews, I told you a moment ago, really put out there early on that his body had been stolen. We read about it in Matthew 28, verses 11 and following. Look at it on the screen, if you will. As the women were on their way, the women who had found the empty tomb, some of the guards went into the city. They had seen that Jesus had been raised from the dead and told the leading priest what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. Now, bribe. now can you imagine? They had taken money, Judas had, to betray Jesus. And now these guards are taking money to betray him again. And he would not receive the truth from them because of money. Money, the love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible says. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while he was sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears about this, that is Pilate, we will stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bride and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews and still they still tell it today. And even if you talk to a Jew today in Memphis, Tennessee, many of them will say, oh, his disciples stole his body. And look at me, with all due respect, that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie. Nobody was stolen. Nobody could have been stolen. If you knew how they protected that dead body, you would understand that Jesus' body was not stolen. Look at verse 6. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. The angel said, he told you three things. Aren't you glad that uh, Jesus had a three-point sermon. Amen? Here's the three-point sermon. I'm going to be arrested. That's what they said. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of men, sinful men. Jesus said, I'm going to be arrested. Number two, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to die. 
I'm going to be crucified. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. My resurrection. I, on the third day, I'm going to rise. They heard the first two points, but they fell asleep apparently during the sermon and they didn't hear the last part or they ignored it or they couldn't get to it. Or maybe they were so overtaken by the dismay that he was going to die. They couldn't hear the good news. And by the way, his death is good news too, because that means our sins are atoned for. It's all good news. He lived a holy life. That's good news. He died an atoning death. That's good news. But praise God, the best news is he came out of that grave and we worship him today. He rose bodily, victoriously, and eternally from the grave. And we praise him today that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Why seek the living among the dead? Jesus Christ is not dead in a grave in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And the third thing I would say to you is why would you seek the living among the dead? Jesus Christ, resurrection, must be proclaimed. If there is a bloody cross, if there is an empty tomb, we have got to tell people about that. We can't keep that to ourselves. There are dying people all around us. There are people in this room right now. The devil has beaten you up. Even though you're saved, the devil has discouraged you. The devil has put fear and anxiety in your heart and you're concerned about things and you're down and you're depressed. I want to tell you because Jesus is alive, you don't have to live in discouragement. You don't have to live in anxiety. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live without hope. Jesus Christ is your hope. Jesus Christ is alive. You can pray to him. You can fast. You can do spiritual warfare. You can walk in victory. You can tell other people about him. I've got a friend on our staff, one of our pastors, texted me yesterday and said, the guy that delivered a package to my house, I shared the gospel with him, and he got saved. Look at me. God is still changing lives. Amen? Don't tell me. Don't tell me Jesus is in the grave. Jesus is not in the grave. Jesus has risen from the dead, and we need to tell people about him. Look at verse 8, and they remembered his words. Isn't that a good thing to do? Isn't it a good thing to remember the word of God? That's why we read it every day. That's why we try to memorize it. That's why we meditate on it. That's why we just let it soak in our soul because we want to be word-based Christians. I tell you, somebody that has a Bible that's worn out, is going to be able to have victory in this life. If you ignore the Bible, then you are doing it to your own harm. You need to live in the Bible, especially in the days in which we live. And they remembered his words. And what did they do? They returned from the tomb and they had something to share. They wanted to repeat what that angel had said. They reported, they shared, they gave testimony to the fact to all the 11, those are the 11 disciples and all the rest. And they were saying his bones are not in Jerusalem. They're not in that tomb. He has risen from the dead. They remembered his words. They remembered his words. And the Bible says that they told him. He, he had told them now, you'll remember at Caesarea Philippi when Peter said, 
When Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You're the you're Christ, the son of the living God. Then he asked them, Mark 8, 29, who do you say I am? Peter replied, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. Then Jesus began to tell them that the son of man must suffer many terrible things, be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would then be killed, and three days later, he would rise from the dead. They remembered all of us. Oh, yes. We forgot that last part, but oh, yes. We remembered his words, and that's when they returned. They couldn't help but speak about Jesus. I think about Peter and John and the early disciples when they were told, if you if you say anything else about Jesus, this is in the book of Acts, my favorite book in the Bible. If you say anything about Jesus, we're going to arrest you, whatever. And they said, well, you do whatever you have to do. The Bible says in Acts 4, 18, and following the Jewish leaders, when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God, to give heed to you rather than to God. You be the judge, but for we cannot stop speaking. Not we will not, we cannot. We've got fire in our bones. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We have seen too much. We have seen his miracles and we have seen him since he rose from the dead. We have heard too much. We heard the Sermon on the Mount, and beside that, we heard all of his teaching. We have heard too much. We have seen too much, and we know that he's alive. You're not going to shut us up. Go ahead and kill us. Do whatever you have to do, but we will not stop speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I tell you what, when I, when I hear that kind of talk, it reminds me of old Jeremiah. He never married he was married to the Lord. He said, if I, I, but I, if I say I will not remember him, talking about the Lord or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. Fire in your bones. We need some preachers. You know what we need? Some, we don't just need educated preachers. I'm not, not, I'm not a problem. I don't have a problem with education. I went to school a long time, read a lot of books and all that. But I want to tell you something. If you don't have the fire of God in your heart, don't get behind the pulpit. If you don't have fire in your soul, if you don't have the Holy Ghost in you, burning in your heart, and, and if, you, if the Word of God doesn't still burn for you, get out of the ministry and make way for somebody that'll get up and tell you about Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Get some fire in your bones. Jesus Christ is alive.